Articles of Faith is a weekly interview show featuring scholars and writers who have written about the doctrines and teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Articles of Faith is a production of Fair Mormon and is hosted by Nick Galetti. Lori White is a mother of four and grandmother of ten living in Sacramento, California. She writes for Meridian Magazine and Familius. She also blogs as Lori White on spiritual things, Thoroughly Mormon at thoroughlymormon.wordpress.com. She's coming on today as the author of an article on the mormonwomenstand.com website and blog. And we want to thank you, Lori, for coming on uh, to Articles of Faith with us. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. So uh, before we get into the, the article that you wrote, and I'll, I'll toss out the title so that people know where we're going with this, with this interview, is the article that you wrote is called Inside the Mind of an Inactive Member. And so what I think would be best is if we go back a little bit and learn who you are, how you came to the church, and a little bit of your story so that we can kind of know the context under which you've written this article. So how did you and your family come to the church? Okay, I was raised um, uh, by non-members. My mother was a non-practicing Methodist. My father was a Christian scientist. And... um, we were raised, there were four of us kids, and we were raised that we had to appear in some church once in a while. They didn't care what church we went to, and they we didn't have to go every Sunday, but once in a while we had to go to, to a church. Was that because they want, was that like a public perception thing, or just because they wanted you to be exposed to religion? They just wanted us to be exposed to religion. Okay. And uh, so we kind of grew up going to church with our friends, so I went to a lot of different churches including primary, when that was back in the days when primary was during the weekdays. And I went to primary with a friend, um, but I went to a lot of other different churches. And I went to my father's Christian Science Church as well. And um, at some point, the missionaries came to the house, and my older sister was baptized, and then my, my older brother. And then my dad decided that he wanted to be baptized, and that he kind of wanted to do it as a family. And he talked my mother into being baptized, and um, I was kind of, my, my little sister wasn't old enough for baptism yet, um, she was only five, but I was kind of the only hangout. Um, my dad never would have forced any of us to join the church, but we talked about it a lot, and I don't really think at that point I had a testimony, but um, I did it basically because my dad, um, I love my dad, and, and this is something that he wanted our family to do. Um, I later gained a testimony, basically, through seminary. That's how I came to be. That's how you came to the church. And so that was about, I would say, you were in the church how many years? Maybe about eight years before you became an adult? or when? when... Uh, yeah, I, I think I was baptized when I was 10. Okay. Um, so you, you became an adult, 18 years old. Life decisions, you know, happened. School, marriage. What, what, what was the next major decision that happened in your life after you got out of school and, and were on your own? Well, it was actually, um, how I left the church was actually when I was 17. I graduated from high school when I was 17. And my senior year of high school, there were some issues that led me away from the church. And I continued, I only had about two months left of seminary. I loved seminary. So I, I stopped going to everything else but seminary, completed seminary, and got my seminary graduation certificate, and then I 
left for the next 20 years. Wow. And are you, are you feeling comfortable talking about those issues when you were 17 that, that caused you to want to leave? Sure. Um, it wasn't just one thing that happened. It was a series of things over years from the time that I joined the church until the time I was 17. My dad was a, an extremely honest man, and he'd run into a member of the ward who um, he had some dishonest the man was not honest in his business dealings. Gotcha. And um, that was the first thing, I think. Um, my parents had a word of wisdom issue, and they were very upfront about it. They were they tried very hard to quit smoking. My dad walked into a grocery store, saw a ward member who was supposed to be a good member of the church, and he's, he's hiding the liquor in his grocery basket. And um, my dad didn't understand what the deal was, you know, why the, the hypocrisy. It was stuff like that. A bishop that we had um, went to my brother, who was a teenager. Well, actually, he just turned 18 or 19. I don't remember which. But um, my brother drank beer, he and his buddies. My Our, our home was always open to all of the kids. Um, nobody had, nobody needed a key to our front door. The front door was always open, and kids would come in and help themselves to whatever was in the fridge. So the bishop talked to my brother and his friend and said, look, if you um, quit drinking beer for so many weeks and go to church for so many weeks, um, we'll make you an elder. And my brother was kind of put off by that, and he said, in no way am I ready to be an elder. Stopping beer for a few weeks isn't going to make me any kind of an elder. And so he turned him down. His friend, however, took the bishop up on on the offer, was made an elder, and um, the next day walked into our kitchen, opened the fridge, and helped himself to a beer. Mm. It was stuff like that. But the crowning blow was young women. My brother picked me up from young women. Uh, My parents had given him the total use of a vehicle if he would transport my little sister and I wherever we needed to go. And he knew that um, he'd be in trouble if he was ever late, so he was always early picking me up from young women. And he, at that time, was working as an undercover narcotics officer. And um, he would sit and watch the good Mormon kids do drug deals in front of the church. Mm. And so he came to me and he said, look, you know, you have to go to church for these people. What do you want me to do about it? And I said, you know, you need to do what you need to do. And um, don't worry about me. I'm fine. So out of respect to me, he decided instead of busting these kids first, he would go to the bishop. And he talked to the bishop, and the bishop basically told him that uh, these kids had good Mormon parents who were good tithe payers, and he was to keep his nose out of it, at which point my brother busted the kids. And that was kind of when I left. Um, I stuck around to graduate from seminary, and then I left. So it was a lot of, a lot of hypocrisy, as you deem it, that, that you felt that was going on, and, and it just left kind of a nasty taste in your mouth. Right. And I want to be very clear here that the greatest myth in the Church is that people leave because they don't have a testimony or um, have lost their testimony. That's the greatest myth in the church. My entire family had testimonies. And, I mean, in the 20 years that I was inactive, I read the Book of Mormon cover to cover six times. I raised my children as members of the church. They went to church with their dad. Um, uh, I had them blessed in the church. I did not have them baptized when they were eight years old. I wanted to make sure that their maturity level was what I thought it should be at the time. So it depended on the age or the maturity of my kids as to when they were baptized, but they were all baptized. 
that's the biggest myth in the church is that people either never had a testimony at all or they um, have lost their testimony when they leave the church. Okay. Okay. And then, you know, I, I don't mean to kind of skip over your history a whole lot, but 20 years pass and you say somehow it's set of circumstances came into play where you came back to church. Yes. It was also a series of events that led me back. The first being my son. He was at the time nine years old and decided he wanted to be baptized. I happened to be a campfire leader. Um, campfire is for both boys and girls, so my son was in campfire. And um, so I said, tell me what you know about the church, figuring that he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't have much to say. And he talked and talked and talked and in very sweet, simple terms bore his testimony to me. And so um, my thing with the kids joining the church was that they had to complete two um, awards for campfire on religious growth. And um, campfire didn't have one for Mormons. The closest thing I could get was a Lutheran program. And I was the leader, so I just kind of revised that so that it would be more for Mormons, and I, I made one of the requirements, the missionary lessons. And so I put him through the missionary lessons so that he could join the church. But it was his testimony to me as a nine-year-old boy that kind of started things on the roll. Okay. And then um, I had, um, we had wanted a fourth child, and um, when my fourth child was born, I'd had some infertility problems. So when she was born, I, I would hold her and look in her eyes and realize what a miracle baby she was and realize how blessed we were to have her and um, how ungrateful I was um, to my Heavenly Father for everything that in my life. And that was the second thing. And there were, there were other things, but it just seemed to be everything at once was telling me I needed to, to get my, myself back to church. Okay. This, this article, again, on mormonwomenstand.com, is entitled Inside the Mind of an Inactive Member. And first of all, we should probably say that that term inactive has a lot of, um, let's just say, emotional responses that people have with that term. It seems to imply things to different people in different ways. How do you use that term inactive? Why do you use that term at all when it seems like that's, um, let's just say it's a, it's a almost derogatory implications in today's dialogue. Well, I'll tell you, um, I've actually changed my thinking on this just in the last week. I use the term inactive because when, when I was inactive, the church decided that we should call people less active instead of inactive, and it just irritated me that you know, let's let's call me what I am. I'm I'm not active in the church, and why call me less active? It just it was almost like it was condescending or patronizing. I brought that out in my article, and then this last week I've gotten comments actually on my article. They really kind of rung true to me. One woman said, "Why should we label people at all? Why should we? Why shouldn't we just say these are people who aren't coming to church?" And that really rung true to me, that maybe we shouldn't be labeling people at all with any kind of inactive or less active. They just aren't coming to church. So I'm kind of changing my thought on that since I wrote the article. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's very uh, fluid of you, actually. I mean, a lot of times, and I don't mean to paint things with too broad a brush, but blog writers typically have a very clear point of view that they want to get across, and they 
entrenched themselves in it by by writing their articles. But here you are saying that even some of these comments have helped you open your perspective on the issue. Yes. Um, actually, that's kind of one of the reasons that I wrote the article is because I want I want the conversation to happen in the church as to why people leave the church and how we approach people who are leaving the church. Okay. So let's get into your article then, and let's see if we can we can bring that that theme throughout. So you you've been pondering on this article for some time based on what you've written in here. You said the last nine months I've been studying the scriptures with this study group. I think it's a Facebook based one from what I read in the comments and and every day you read different scriptures. And so finally you came across Alma seven fifteen. And uh that's as you have quoted in the article is Yea, I say unto you, come and fear not, and lay aside every sin which easily doth beset you. Now the study question that you said came across through this group was how does fear affect the repentance process. So what was your answer to that question? How does fear affect the repentance process? Oh boy, I don't have the article right in front of me. <laughs> I guess I should have been prepared <laughs> for that one. Um, I think basically what I said was that um, if you're... Um, or when, when I was inactive, I felt like... I, well, I had convinced myself I wasn't going to heaven. And um, uh, it was... I was fine with that because it was easier to um, it was easier to to understand that I wasn't going to heaven than it was to think about going back to church because going back to church was such a painful idea. What was painful about it for you? I was a very very bitter woman over this whole thing and um, over the hypocrisy thing the stuff that you referred to okay. And, and what my family had been put through. And, you know, there's an old saying that um, you can be more bitter about something that happens to those you love than to what happens to you. And I was very bitter about things that had happened to other members of my family. And my entire family had been in and out of activity for years. And um, I had, um, I was just very bitter. And it would, the thought of going to church with these people, the thought of walking back in the building and going to church on a regular basis with these people isn't something I wanted to do. It was just a painful idea. And you saw all members of the church just like that same, the same ward members that you were talking about when you were growing up, right? You saw them all as kind of, that was the, the common behavior of members of the church. Um, yeah, I, I know that that's not true, but that's the way I was thinking. There were, there were some members who were very, very good to me. My, my husband had a couple of really good friends who... Um, would come over and, frankly, my husband isn't very um, handy, and um, I don't know how we managed to buy a house when and think we were going to keep it up with neither one of us handy. And <laughs> um, <laughs> his two buddies would come over and save me every time I would um, break something or um, something would go wrong with our house. And um, I grew to love them a lot. But to me, that wasn't the norm. To me, the norm were, were the people that had irritated me. Mm. And I know that's not true. I mean, but that's... But that's how I, it was. That's, that's what you feared, going back right. and, and to a certain extent, raising your family amongst such people too, right? You didn't want your kids to turn out the same way. And, and, exactly. And that was your perception at the time. So right. one, of, one of the things that you bring out in the article also is that 
you you feared failure. You fear, yeah. feared failure in the repentance process, like that you would fail at repenting. Yes. So how how does that how does that look? How does that feel? Why did what brought you to feel that way? I think I felt that if I went back, if I went back to church and then I couldn't put up with people, or it happened again, that it would um, hurt my husband, who was a member, and it would hurt my children. Failing in front of my husband and my children was just not something I could do. Couldn't couldn't stomach that emotionally. It was it was right. pretty intense. Yeah. Right. Now to go back again to the title, you're talking about sharing some insights that you had as you were an, an, an inactive, or let's just go with the term since we've agreed to go with this. While you weren't attending church regularly, and so I guess what you you say that your son brought you back to church, but you still had these fears. Right. What got you over that first initial? I can't do this. What got you through that and into the door of the chapel that first time after 20 years? Well, it was very funny, actually. Um, my husband and I were about to celebrate our 17th anniversary. I, I don't know how I was fortunate enough to marry a member of the church because I was not dating members. When After I left the church, maybe once or twice a year, I would walk into the building five minutes after the sacrament meeting started um, so that nobody would come up and talk to me, and then I would leave before the closing prayer. And my husband tracked me down through a room, through a friend of a friend of my roommates. <laughs> and um, he and I had, well, we had a terrible first date, which is a whole different story, and uh, I didn't go out with him for another eight months. So how we ended up getting married, I don't know. But we had a really stormy year before we were finally married year and a half, I guess, and um, uh, a lot of it was about the church, because I was afraid that he would expect me to someday come back to church, and I wanted to make sure that he knew that um, I was never coming back to church. Uh, of course, he liked me, and he, he did think that eventually I would come around and come back to church, but uh, that was my fear, is that I didn't want to disappoint him when I got married. Gotcha. So um, on our 17th anniversary, I didn't know what to get him, and I'd had this nagging feeling from all these things that were, were going on in my mind. I knew I should get back to church. And on our anniversary, I just sat down and I said, um, my anniversary goes up to you is that a year from now we'll be still in the temple. Wow. And I didn't even know, I didn't even know what I was saying. I mean, it was, I was shocked that it came out of my mouth. That's a heavy promise. Yeah, <laughs> and he was trying to pick his mouth up off the floor. <laughs> um, because by this time, we had four children, and um, you know, by this time, I think he'd, he had convinced himself I was never coming back. And uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a shock to both of us that it actually came out of my mouth. So how would you classify that? I mean... You said that for years you'd kind of had this nagging feeling. Start was it starting with your son's testimony, and it kind of built. Yeah, it was starting with my son's testimony. So over time, you just you felt that spirit work with you, and at, at some point, you just I don't know. It sounded almost like you blurted it out without thinking what you were saying that that you were going to 
you were going to get sealed in a year. That's a huge, huge kind of <laughs> yeah. leap to me. I, I'm, I'm thinking that there's got to be something else in between there because that seems like a very big leap. But are we talking a few years time where you slowly were warming up to things? Um, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I think in my mind, I was thinking I would never come back, but my heart was telling me something else. I think in my heart, I knew I had to come back, but I tried to convince myself that this, this couldn't happen. You know, I couldn't do this. And then at some point, I think maybe I just grew up. I don't know. Maybe I just grew up. Yeah. I, you, only you'll be able to tell us, right? I mean, it's some, <laughs> it, looking back at things, it sounds to me like at some point you built up enough courage to, to exceed the fears that you had. You, you, you certainly had fears, but at some point that courage was greater than your fear. Right. And I think that's right. Okay. So to get back to what's going on inside the mind of an inactive member, part of why you're sharing your story is not just to I don't know, brag or, or just put a, a big spotlight on, on your life. What, why else are you sharing the story? What, what was the purpose of sharing your experience and some of the feelings and emotions that you have? For years, I didn't tell people why I left the church because um, I didn't think, um, well, first off, every time I told the story it would make me more bitter all over again. I've gotten over that now, but um, and the the biggest reason is because I didn't want people to see the negative and, um, you know, people who were on the edge, I didn't want them to see the negative and I didn't want them to leave the church and say, you know, your story validated mine. Over the last few years, I've realized that um, these stories need to be told so that those of us who are working with inactive people have some sort of a a mindset as to where they are um, so we can relate to them because as a church we don't do very well with dealing with inactive people um, I can't tell you how many home te teachers and visiting teachers irritated me over the years when I was inactive um, saying all the wrong things and doing all the wrong things what I really needed was love um, like these two friends of my husband who came and fixed my house when it needed fixing. Those are the kinds of things that, that um, ingratiated me to members of the church. Not, you know, not somebody who comes with um, a card once a year and says Merry Christmas and um, that, that just isn't... I could telephone you a mile away and I could tell it if I was being somebody's project um, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Friends were, you know, friends need to stick around for the long term, whether or not you join or you, whether or not you come back to church or not. They, they need to stick around for the long term. We need to, to learn how to love people uh, for who they are, whether or not they ever come back. Mm -hmm. And until we learn to do that, we're not going to get anybody back. And, you know, that's actually a really hard thing to accomplish, not because people aren't genuinely good people or have interest in things like that. On, on other people's behalf, but it's difficult because let's use the term active again, active practicing members of the church love the church and want other people to be a part of what they see as something that brings them great happiness. And so right. inviting people to the church is not just 
a commandment, responsibility, what have you. But it, it can be a very genuine thing that they want people to be happy in the church, right. and they know that the church can do that. So perhaps you'd be willing to, if, if you feel comfortable, how, how can you ride that line? How can you be clear and honest and let them know, you know, people that are inactive, we do love you. But we also know that it could be a very good thing for you to come back to church, and we want to support you in that as well. You know, all I can say, I've thought about this a lot, and all I can say is that in every single instance, you have to really pray about it, because every single, every single situation is different. Um, I was assigned as a visiting teacher a few years ago um, to uh, a woman who is inactive. She reluctantly made the the appointment with me, and um, she reluctantly let me in her door when I showed up, and the very first words out of her mouth were, um, I've had visiting teachers before, and um, once they find out how ornery I am, they don't come back. And I looked her square in the eye, and I said, you've met your match lately, lady. I said, <laughs> there is nobody on earth that is more ornery than I am, and I'll be back. And she and I are really good friends now. She's still not coming to church, but she's getting to know that um, we're not all bad. And it may take many, many years for her to come back. Um, she's married to a non-member um, who is skeptical of anybody in religion. You know, last December when my daughter, when my youngest daughter was getting married, um, this woman you know, ask if, if there was anything that she could help with the wedding and, you know, she was willing to do anything for me. I I think that, I mean, I've, I've told her mother, who is who is uh, an active member, um, I've told her that um, someday her daughter will be back. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. But yeah. It, may, it may take 20 years. And if, if I have to be this woman's visiting teacher for 20 years, I'll do that. And if, um, you know, if it takes, and, and if she doesn't come back, I'm still her friend. That's the thing. I'm not going to give up on her just because she's not coming. Yeah. And you, you go through in, in the rest of the article, and we, of course, want to point people to it. We'll have a, a link to it on the posting for this episode at blog.fairmormon.org. But uh, you, you talk about uh, a parable. A story that was shared in the June 2015 Enzyme about a hummingbird that was rescued, and and you kind of share right. some of those principles. And I'm I don't want to go into it now because I want to give people something else to go to to read your article about. But the fact of the matter is, is your article, as of the time of this interview, has 92 replies on it. 92. This is yeah. certainly resonating on a lot of different levels with a lot of different people from you know, a, a very wide range from what I can read in the different comments. Are you surprised that people have re- responded as, as uh, voluminously as, as they have? I'm very surprised, actually. Um, I checked the stats on the article this morning, about a half hour before you called, and uh, it almost ha- it, 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 it's just a few numbers short of 25,000 hits. And that just blows me away. I've never written anything that's had any kind of response like that. That's just not, <laughs> I'm just not that good of a writer. <laughs> um, and and it, it blows me away that this has resonated so much with people. In what ways um, have you seen it resonate? What are some of the comments, just to give people an idea? How, how well, is I've this? Been, 
Go ahead. I've been blown away that people are making long comments. Um, they're telling their own stories in these comments, their own very personal stories, and that um, that tells me that these stories need to need to be told. Um, they they and I've I've heard um, from some who say I've got it all wrong too. And that's fine because the discussion needs to happen. Uh, um, I was told that um, one of the things that um, the church gets wrong about this is that we talk about uh, inactive members of being lost. And this one person said, "I'm not a lost sheep. I'm I'm away from the church by choice." And I can resonate with that because I left the church by choice too. There were. Um, Several people who commented about the fact that they have disabilities that keep them away from church, and that people just assume that they that they're not coming because uh, you know they've committed some terrible sin or or they um, they've lost their testimonies or something when it actually is a disability that keeps them from church. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a wide range, right? There's uh, there's a whole slew of reasons that people may find themselves in a position where they are are not attending regularly. Right. Being bored in Sunday school was something else that came up, and um, that people don't give honest answers in the classes, and that we need to have real discussions in the classes instead of just the standard answers. Uh, oh, and it, somebody talked about the fact that we all assume that if you leave the church, you're not happy. And that um, I could relate to as well, because I was perfectly happy. You know, just just because you're not active doesn't mean that you're moaning and groaning and and that you're um, down on the you know down and depressed all the time. Um, you know, I was very a very happy mom with four kids and um, had a happy marriage. And we assume a lot of things about people who are not going to church, and most of those assumptions are wrong. Well, that brings up another question, though. If you were so happy, why? What what's changed since you've come back? Why has it been worth it? Why has it been something that you want to see happen with more people? I mean, I assume that's why you are sharing this, is you want more people to become active again, um, or at least right. that you want those that are ministering to other people to do so in a way that is more efficient, and therefore more people become active. So if you were just perfectly happy, why go through all this? What I can tell you is that since I've been back, I look at my family, and my family, now that my family's been sealed in the temple, we look at each other differently. We are more patient with each other and our faults because we know that we're sealed for eternity. We, um, that doesn't mean that we don't have problems. Sometimes we could all kill each other, but um, we, we try harder because we know we're sealed as a family. And um, I think that makes all the difference in the world. I also feel the spirit more than I did when I was not active. Um, not to say that I didn't feel the spirit when I was inactive, because I did. I, I have every day of my life, I have felt Heavenly Father's hand in my life. Just the fact that he, he helped me marry a, a member of the church when I was not active. How, many, how how often does that happen? Right. Um, I have felt his hand in my life every day. But since I've been back, um, I feel the Spirit on little things, little decisions that I make every day. I have the Spirit with me. And that 
wasn't necessarily the case when I was inactive. So it sounds kind of like the difference between having the light of Christ and the gift and companionship of the Holy Ghost. Is that exactly that, okay? Okay. Has this been a successful venture for you, writing this article? Have you seen this as a positive? Yeah, I have. Um, I've learned some things um, as well. Um, but it's a positive for me just that the discussion is happening and people are willing to share their stories. And that, I think, is a positive. Excellent. Excellent. So does that mean you've got another article coming out soon on Mormon Women's Stand? Um <laughs> I don't know about on this issue or not, but um, <laughs> I'm committed to writing two articles a month for Mormon Women's Stand. Fantastic. So, uh, so I don't know what I'll write about next. I never know. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. That's all right. So again, the message here is inactivity happens. <laughs> I yep. know that's not the greatest word, but let's just go with it for, for continuity's sake. It happens, and why it happens is, is not as important as what we need to do moving forward. Right? And how we approach individuals that find themselves not presently going to church on a regular basis. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, again, thank you, Lori White, for coming on and talking more about your article. And, and again, we'll have a link to it at the posting of this episode at blog.fairmormon.org so people can, can go to it and read it and add to the 92 comments, maybe that are already there. And uh, again, thank you very much for coming on and taking the time to talk with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Articles of Faith with your host, Nick Galletti. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at fairmormon.org. Tune in each Monday for another episode of Articles of Faith. Thank you for listening.